Hello, and welcome to the rock and roll edition of Inside Asperger Studios Presents Stories. Today, I have legendary rocker Cody Lee from Cody Lee and the Last Details. We get to hear about his life, have him answer our questions, and find out where he plans to be in the next few years and where he's going to be at. So make sure you sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll catch you on the other side. See you there. Welcome to a very special edition of Inside Asperger Studios presents stories with legendary rocker Cody Lee. Welcome to the show, Cody. My pleasure, Reed. Thank you for having me. So why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into the music business? Okay, I'll try to keep it short, at least this first question. Um, I grew up in New York City and um, starting in eighth grade, no, ninth grade, my next door neighbor, she was, who was older, was a secretary or assistant for one of the early, early rock journalists, Lillian Roxon, who wrote the original Encyclopedia of Rock, which was the first heavy duty, you know, treating rock as a serious non-teenage thing. And um, I got to meet Lillian because my neighbor would call me, and this is back when the rock press was so sparse that if you had, like I have the original issue of Rolling Stone, I was actually working for them. Um, there was a magazine called Crawdaddy and, and all this stuff. Anyway, I wherever I could glom information, if I could get a new Music Express at Times Square, I would pick it up. And she said, uh, finally, this woman, Lillian Roxon, said, who are you calling every time you don't know an answer to a question? He goes, this kid in 10th grade who's across the hall from me in the apartment building. Long story short, I ended up working with Lillian. And, uh, you know, that was kind of, I'm in 10th, 11th, 12th grade, hanging out at Max's Kansas City. Lillian was the doyen of the Max's scene. So I'm in you know, 11th grade, seeing a table with Iggy Pop, Alice Cooper when they were, he, he was underground. Lou Reed, you know, and the next day I'd be in school and the teacher would be saying something. I'd go, I don't really care. I was with Iggy Pop and Alice Cooper and Lou Reed last night. So got into it. Uh, at the same time, I had high school band and, you know, we played every weekend. And um, I used to say there wasn't a public school, prep school, grade school. I mean, um, Catholic school, Catholic uh, dance place, Jewish synagogue, um, whatever in Manhattan that we had not played. You know, I played them all. Um, and um, uh, then uh, I went to a, a hippie college. And uh, oh, during that time, too, I saw both Loving Spoonful live in Central Park and then Jimi Hendrix on his first American uh, show because my uncle was his lawyer. So he just landed back from England. And I'll never get my uncle said, when you meet Jimmy, don't stare at him because he just came back from England. And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I know. So I'll have a polka dot shirt with a white collar or something. Anyway, I go to my uncle's office and I turn to the right. Oh, and Jimmy was opening for the Rascals and my high school band did, I think, almost their entire first three records. And I turn around and there's this guy with a big teased out, you know, 
fro, a black turtleneck, a black British military hussar's jacket with gold braids and black Levi's and black suede boots up to his thighs. And I turned around and go, you know, just completely flummoxed by the, the appearance. And then they, again, like I said, I wasn't that super keen because all the radio was playing was Hey Joe, which didn't give away the game. And he started with Foxy Lady. And my face was blown off. Their clothes were psychedelic suits and greens and yellows and purples and shirts with the huge painted eyeballs. And then I went to a hippie school, college in Vermont and... Um, dropped out the first time to play with a legendary long-deceased bluesman by the name of Mississippi Fred McDowell. And the second time I dropped out to move to England with this English guitar player by the name of Peter Green. And that's, you know, and pretty much stay with music uh, for the rest of my life. <laughs> so music just stuck with you from the, from the very beginning. Yes, sir. That is incredible. All right. What motivates you, Cody? What motivates you? What inspires you? What drives you to write, write you, to write your songs, to come up with some great songs? A um, couple of things. Certainly whenever I hear a great record or a great song, uh, sometimes it just, I got to do something like that. You know, I can do something like that. Um, uh, and I've always been, you know, a little bit on the left side of the political spectrum. And so I grew up with protest music and I've kind of never stopped writing it. Um, I think I sent you a song called Marjorie, which ostensibly yeah. could be about anybody you were dating named Marjorie. But if you read the paper, you could probably discern who it was about as well. <laughs> so, yeah, that's so true. Um, so uh, that motivates me. And I'm trying actually this time for the first time in my long career to write happier songs so i've also got some really happy ones now that's good to hear mm. what's the best compliment you've ever received oh a few um i was playing in boston in front of a big festival like about fifty thousand people in a park and there was a band in boston at the time that was really big called the modern lovers one guy ended up in talking heads one guy ended up in um uh the cars and he, the singer was just in the, the newsfeed this morning because some art festival film festival in Oregon hired him and it turned out it was a ringer <laughs> uh, but he came up to me and he was this very um, are you familiar with Jonathan Richmond? Not, not much okay he's a you, you would check him out I think you would find him interesting um, he's he's an iconoclastic unique performer and he came up to me and he said, you really rock. And that was a, a great moment. Um, and uh, actually, the silliest, one of my favorite compliments is very recent. I was playing at a bar in Chicago by the name of Simons. And there was a guy sitting at a bar stool. Uh, obviously, a, a kitchen guy by his clothes, though he was wearing the kitchen uniform. And he's like this the whole time, the arms crossed, looking at me. And after the set, he comes up to me. And he's a gruff-looking guy with a beard. And, you know, kitchen guys, you know, hard-working guy. And he goes, you know something? You don't suck. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife is, said to me, you know, that's high praise from him, right? I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and I've had, um, you know, famous musicians, 
say nice stuff about me and, and stuff. So, you know, I've had my moments. Another question I did want to ask you, Cody, what was it like to walk on such, such stages as CBGB, a-, a place that is like... A place that's just so legendary to punk rock music. I mean, what was the vibe feeling back then? Um, I don't think we knew it as like it was like a happening thing. It was just we all lived on the Lower East Side. So it's hard to believe, but you could live in Manhattan for $100, $200 a month. Yeah. And it was our local bar. And, you know, we were, I think some of us were more aware than others that something was happening here, but it was still just, you know, the bar we walked down the street, you know, and in the same way you could say CBGB's now, back in 1977, you said CBGB's, most people went, what's that? <laughs> you know, or they go, BGs? No, no, CBGB's. <laughs> and, um, but it was fun. It was, you know, I, I lived eight blocks from there. Um, a lot of my friends were there and um it was it was cool it was dirty it was gross you needed uh, waiters to go into the bathroom i mean it was it was dirty and hilly the owner's dog was would just poop in the inside the club i mean there was nothing it you know why he allowed the bands he allowed to play there was because nobody was coming he had nothing to lose <laughs> you know Anyways, another question I did want to ask you. I know comics get this, but do music, mus- uh, musicians get it as well, where you open up and you get nothing but crickets? Nobody applauds. And what do you guys do after something like that? You just lick your wounds. And I, I think when I was younger, in general, in the music business, to be in the music business, if you had, if you were prideful, uh, you weren't going to make it because you had to eat a lot of humble pie. And so one time I opened for Rush and we thought they were going, yay. And then we realized they were going, you suck, you suck. And and we hadn't played a note yet. Okay, that was the thing, <laughs> you know. And, we're, and I'm thinking, we may suck, but could you give us a song and then decide if we suck? <laughs> um, the worst audience I ever did was we went, we were booked in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And I still talked to the row crew and the one surviving member from that band. Uh, and we were talking about it just the other day on a Zoom call. And it was, uh, we were talking about what was the worst gig. And I said, for me, it was an all boys Catholic college. It was like, I don't, you know, I didn't, I mean, I had, you know, I, I liked having appeal to women and what have you. And back in the day, that was part of the candy and, you know, but it was all boys and they're like, okay. And we're like, you know, you know, we don't blame you. You know, this is a rock and roll band and you're all sitting in seats in an auditorium. (laughs) So it was, it was pretty stiff. And then the other one that's a little weird is when you play for bikers, it's not unlike the restaurant tour. Bikers, this this is a biker watching you play. Arms, yeah. Sort of like from the scene from the Blues Brothers. Exactly, exactly like that. Where there are all these rednecks sitting there with their arms crossed yeah. and glass flying everywhere. Yeah. You have to change up your music just to appease them. Yeah, now we never did that. We, you know, um, we stayed true. I had our, so when I moved to Champaign, Illinois back in uh, 1990, I ended up joining a roadhouse band and uh, we played over 2000 shows. And that's actually where my musicianship really improved after the years in the rock, the real rock world. 
was playing every bar, toilet, dive in central Illinois, as well as we would always open for any national acts that came through the market. Anyways. Okay. What, what is your biggest failure and what have you learned from that experience? That's a great question. So Thank you. Let, let me start by saying I'm a fatalist and I'm so happy in my life right now that whatever got me to this point is great. So I got, I have no complaints, but I think my biggest failure wasn't even necessarily on my shoulders. My parents were so unhappy about my career choice. And so while I was fighting one offensive on one side, which is to try to make it in the industry, I had, I couldn't talk to my parents on this for a year at a time because they were just so destructive. I, I used to use the phrase, they were pissed on my dreams. Um, but I think because of that friction, what I didn't know was instead of having my parents say, get a mentor, get an idol, get somebody to learn from. So I learned everything the hard, slow way. And I would say, Reed, that I became, I had artistic moments all the time during my career, but I became an pure artist about five years ago. Something unlocked and I just felt the work is all that matters. That's very good. Can you tell me about three influential people in your life and how they impacted you? Sure. Um, I'm thinking because that's a good question too. Um, Okay, one is two people at the same time. I joined a band with these guys from upstate New York when I was living in New York City. Lon Monroe, his real name Roselle, and D. Meinold, the letter D. Meinold. Um, these guys are gritty New York, uh, upstate New York guys, and they came to New York to make it in rock about 75, 76. And I was in a band with them for seven years, and it was... It was the band that should have made it. We came very close a lot of time. All the other New York guys who did make it always held us in high regard and high esteem as, as a band. And it was just a great, it's where I learned how to really be in a band. They were great guys. So that's one. Um, two, honestly, my wife has just been, I've been very lucky. I've been married to the same woman for 36, 37 years. And unlike some people's partners, mine has been a hundred percent a believer and a supporter in my being in a band and being an mm -hmm. artist. And she'll, even now when she's out running, she'll send me a text. You know, I really like this song because it came up in her uh, random feed, you know, and, um, so, you know, she's given me confidence. She's given me support. Uh, she's just been great. I mean, when we got married, my band went to Europe uh, like a week after, and she was totally supportive of it, you know, to have a great experience. So she's been great. And then the third influence. It's coming. It's coming. Uh... uh I guess it's a current guy. It would be this guy, Brendan, who's my bass player, Brendan Cawley. He, when, before the COVID, I had been out only as a solo guy for since, since about 2012. And 
he had a sense of me like you have a sense of me. And he said, you need, I know you're not famous, but you're pretty darn good. And you need to be out there in a band getting people to really hear your stuff. So um, I said, okay. And he helped me put this band together. And, you know, I, I let him do things like he's always in charge of the set list. You know, he's kind of my a BS detector. He's a great guy. And he's a young guy. He's about your age, 35, somewhere in there. And um, it's funny that you say that. I'm actually 50. Well, you look great. You look great. Thank you. Everyone says that, that I look younger than I am. Yeah, no, you, you do. So, um, so those would be three big influences, not musically per se, but, you know, um, yeah. as, as influence on my art. Okay. What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? A great gig, great show, you know, and lately it's, I, I only seem to be able to do, to perform at, at, at genuine peak level. And it's been like, I finish shows and people say, wow, you got a great voice. Wow. This is you. Who writes these songs? And, and it's, you know, you, you, it's, I'm kind of a hyper person and I leave those shows like we did this pop-up yesterday and, and I'm exhausted, but in a great way, you know, mm -hmm. just like, wow, you know, I, I was it a hundred percent, maybe not, but nobody could say it wasn't genuine. And that's what I strive for. I get that. I mean, when you do something, you you really feel confident about it and you enjoy it. Mm -hmm. You come off with such a high buzz. Yeah. You just feel great the rest of the day. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Finish the sentence. I am at my best when. When I am in touch with my insides. Very good. Thank you. If you can go back in time and talk to your 18 year old self, what would you tell them about where you are now in life? Oh, that's interesting. So not what I would tell them to do better, but what I would tell them about where I'm in. You're okay. It's you're going to hit a lot of bumps, but you're going to be a happy person. All right. If you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? I love my wife and kids. Because they're good people and they're good to me. And I would just say, hey, these are lovely, fantastic people. And if I was given Thank extra you. room, I'd put a few, I'd probably have about 20 other people's names I put on it. All right, very good. What do you think the world will look like in five years from now? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that's, you know, so I'm going to give you a digress kind of answer. I'm working in a dead art form. You know, rock and roll had a great run, but it's done. You just have to look at the charts to know it's over. You know, the days when you would say, if, if you saw me, if we met 30 years ago, Reed, and I said, I was in a band, you would go, oh, really? Where do you play? What are you doing? What are you that? Blah, 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 blah. Now you say to somebody, you're in a band, and they probably go, big L, you know? I'm, mm. I, I mean, as my wife says, it's like jazz. There's still a market for it, but the days when you find yeah. Miles Davis edited singles on a jukebox, long gone. And the same thing. I mean, I have a friend who owns a very successful independent indie music label. And the good news is they're guaranteed to sell between three to 15,000 records on anybody they put out. The bad news is 
they're doomed to put, sell three to 15,000 records unless some bizarre thing happens, like maybe it gets in a movie or a TikTok video or something. But otherwise, they're not going to be able to, um, you know, there's not the crossover. You know, like when I was a kid and maybe when you were a kid, you'd say, oh, I got this band's first record. They're really great. And I got this band's second record. And they're really great. And your friends are going, whatever. And then the third or fourth record, all of a sudden, boom. And you go, wow, they're really great. You know, and, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, so with the, speaking of music with the world, I have no idea. It moves so fast. My son is in the business and he books wow. bands like Diplo, uh, uh, David Quetta, uh, Major Lazer, and he calls them bands. And I saw one of his bands at Lala. He, he came to town for Lollapalooza and the band was a drummer, a, a cute singer uh, a keyboard player did primarily bass notes and a drummer a guitar player drummer and so it's four people on stage but it was so clear they were playing along with the track you know and mm-hmm. you know that's not really you know <laughs> you know what I mean that's not a my, my engineers had prepared what they used to call when he first came up a producer's tape which would be like when you would see somebody on a TV show in the 60s and 70s or 80s and they were singing live, but the band was playing fake. That's a producer's track. I tried to take that out to a couple shows with a guitar and it just felt so weird. It was like, well, I can't suck. It's there's no magic here. It's already done. You know, it's sort of like what you see nowadays with the musicians yes. being lip syncing to their own music. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's like, I saw one of my son's bands, uh, again, it's really was a DJ and a, and a guy jumping around. And, and, <laughs> and I said, and, and sometimes the DJ would go like this, you know, and I go, Nate, so what's going, is this live? He goes, dad, this stuff was recorded a year ago. And occasionally he might hit a reverb that, so when a kick drum hits, it goes, boom, but that's it. The rest of it's, you know, the guy, the music is all pre-recorded. What was your favorite subject in school? Um, English or history. Very good. I'm guessing you're an introvert or actually an extrovert by your energy. Um, Yes, but it's interesting. So my wife and I used to be, she was totally private and I was totally public. And I was in the public eye and she was in the private. Our roles are reversed so that she works at a public health clinic in town. She's a nurse. And um, she um, she's in the marketplace all day. And I get to spend my day writing and working all day. And I, I'm, I'm, I've got an ideal world for me. I mean, I, I can go out at night and have to grab dinner or I have a friend to talk to at the end of the day. But I'm, I've become the reclusive person and I get very mm. grumpy when it's Wednesday or Thursday and I haven't had enough private time. Yeah, I get that too a lot. Yeah. What's funny is what you don't realize, we're both in the same town. Yeah. I'm in Chicago. Oh, you are? Yeah, I'm in the south side. Okay. I'm a north sider. Yeah, I'm a north sider that got transplanted to the south side. So where'd you grow up in the north side? Um, West West Ridge. Okay, I, and I live in Lakeview, California. Ah, we well, yeah, get together someday yeah. and just sit down and have a cup of coffee. I would love that, Reed. Anytime. Yeah, 
Anyways, if you could be remembered for what thing, what would it be and why? That I've done some good things for other people that have made a difference in their lives. Very good. And um, how did you, now your story, how did you get to where you are today? What drove you to get to where you are now? I guess I'm stubborn. <laughs> I just don't give up. <laughs> you know, I, I, so when I moved to Champaign, I opened a record store because as a guitar player in New York, I worked in record stores and guitar stores. And, um, I, you know, I was kind of burnt out, um, and from New York, you know, I'd had so many almost right there moments. And, um, so I was like determined, that's it. I'm not going to play. I'm not going to split my life up. I'm not going to spend hours a week in rehearsals. I'm not going to play, you know, shows and I, I can just let it go. And my wife, who is, like I say, a truly unbelievable rock and roll musician wife said, after about six months of the record store, she said, if you don't join a band soon, I might have to kill you. That's a, that's a good wife yeah, right there. Yeah, she is awesome. In fact, at a brief moment when I gave up music as a full-time thing, she said, she cried and said, I hope you're not doing it for me because I'm happy living in a trailer. <laughs> So she really is phenomenal. All right. Now, the questions everyone wants to hear. Oh, boy. What is your, what is your favorite word? It changes, you know, and I would say it's more a phrase. I'll come up with a phrase, you know, and, and until I feel like, man, I've heard myself say that phrase too much. And I'm drawing a blank right now because I can't think of them. Um, like I used to say, uh, I'm very keen on that or use keen, some variation of that phrase, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, I think after that one, I got kind of self-conscious. So I, I stopped using it a lot. <laughs> I stopped using, you know, I, tr I try to, I, I read a lot and I, I try to keep my vocabulary fluid. All right. What is your least favorite word? Oh, uh, boy. Okay, thinking. Sorry, Reed. Uh, <laughs> no, don't be sorry. Okay. Um, oh, I know. It's, it goes back to your last question. When somebody uses the phrase, uh, if I'm it, uh, honestly speaking, it's like, so is everything prior to that not quite true? <laughs> so, um, and, um, so that, that drives me crazy. So maybe that is this question. Yeah. When somebody says, honestly speaking, and my son who's a sweetheart, I often will say that and I go, sweetheart, you got to stop that. Cause the, the implication is you weren't telling the truth before. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like my mom. I used to use the word positively or something like that. And my mom's like, you got to stop using that word. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think we all fall trap. You know, the culture comes forth with certain phrases or words and we all use it. You know, like I still say dude, but, you know, there was a time where everybody was a dude, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? All right. What turns you on creatively, spiritually and emotionally? When I can get to a state where I can get rid of all the garbage in my head that, that throws blockage in front of the creative form. And uh, when I'm there, again, I think 
if I was in public school, you know, in sixth grade now, they'd probably medicate me for ADHD or uh, ADD. Um, and uh, so when I can turn my focus into my art, I'm in a mm-hmm. zone that is just so fantastic. I hear everything. Um, and I have biorhythms. So 10 to 12 is a good, good creative if I'm looking for new melodies and, and things. And same with uh, about three to six. And then if I'm, if I have the energy after 11. All right. What turns you off? The news. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, <laughs> it, sometimes it can inspire, but it really turns me off. Yeah. You know? I think the news turns everyone off yeah. nowadays. Yeah. And, you know, not, not to touch on the third rail of impolite conversation, but, um, you know, the four years of the former president, I mean, remember, I'm a New Yorker by, by, by birth. So, like, by 1987, everybody in that town knew not to take a check from the guy. So I, was, I, I found those four years pretty rough. And I'm so liberal that I'm such a liberal that when a Republican's in power, I go, you know what? They got some good ideas, too. Let's see how they work. He wasn't mm-hmm. a Republican. He was just, an, you know, an egotist of the worst. You know. Well, as people put it, he was just a celebrity who thought he can run the country. Yeah. You know. He thought it was his own television show. I know. When he would say things like, my ratings are so strong, I go, you're in the White House. Forget about ratings. <laughs> anyway, go on. <laughs> what is your favorite cuss word? Fuck. <laughs> is everybody? I, uh, I have it in a couple of songs. Uh, and the other day, I hit a piece of metal uh, with my arm. It was in a... Ouch. And this is this is a week later. Holy crap! Yeah, and I, I I dropped about twelve of those. <laughs> that reminds me, this winter, I was sweeping the stairs on my my parents' apartment, mm-hmm. and my foot slipped. I landed on my ass. Ouch! On the edge of the step. Ow! I was sore. My mom's like, "Oh, you're okay. You're okay." And I'm like, mom, can you look at it? I lift up my shirt and she's like, holy shit. Oh, you got, she took a picture. You got a bruise? My entire, <laughs> my entire back thigh up the back a little was black and Ouch. blue. And then what she does, she manages to take a picture of it and send it to my brother and go, look what your brother did. That was nice of her. <laughs> and my brother's like, mom, if this wasn't you, I would ask you, why the hell did you send it to me? <laughs> yeah. Okay. What sound or noise do you love? Uh, okay, so my natural habitat is concrete, steel, glass, and asphalt. So just being there on a city street, and my favorite smell is in the summer when it rains, and mm-hmm. you smell the grime on the street being loosened up. <laughs> <laughs> what sound or noise do you hate? Um, if I don't like certain music, and I only don't care for two kinds that much, or two and a half, um, it's tiring. You know, like if if I'm hearing modern, what they call country music, but in 2021, most of the time it's so formulaic, the cynicism just wears me out. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, maybe death metal. You know, when I hear death metal, it's just, you know, a, a friend of mine, she once said, I know this is supposed to be scary, but everybody sounds like Scooby-Doo when they sing. 
And ever since then, I've never been anywhere. You know, like, Satan, Satan. But it's like, you sound like, I know you're saying Satan, 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 but you sound like Scooby-Doo. Yeah. What is your favorite color? Blue. Your least favorite color? I don't have much use for orange. All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I would have loved to have been a Supreme Court judge. It sounds it, you know, scholarly, reflective, and you get to make a difference. What profession would you not like to do? I would hate to be so caught up in big business that you lose sight of everything but scoring by money. All right. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive? Good to see you. <laughs> when, when you arrive at heaven, who would you like to meet? And so they have to already be dead, right? <laughs> um, so it could be anybody. Okay. Um, well, if it could be anybody, I'd love to meet my wife, <laughs> make sure I meet my wife. But if it's a musician, um, I think I'd like to hang out with Booker T and the MGs. You know, that would be pretty cool. If you could interview anybody in your life, past or present, but not a celebrity, who would it be? If I could interview anybody in my life, past or present. Hmm. Again, I, I'm sorry to be so corny, Reed, but I would be my wife and I'd like to find out how I could, how I screwed up and make up for it. <laughs> and finally, what books or music, in your case, would you recommend my audience listen to? Well, I've been reading a lot of Haruki Murakami, a Japanese novelist. Um, you have to be careful when you buy his stuff because they've issued some of his less famous stuff before he got really great. Um, 1Q10 or uh, The Wind-Up Bird Chronicles was a great book. I love that. I've been reading way too many musician autobiographies and biographies lately, but I did love the Leonard Cohen biography and I it's funny I love the biography by a woman I'm not a huge fan of her band but I loved her book uh, uh, she was in the slits Vivian I can't remember her name musically listen to early kinks listen to love forever changes listen to pet sounds listen to the zombies odyssey and oracle um Listen to Blood, Sweat, and Tears before they got the cheesy singer, um, which isn't only in their first record, Child is Father Man. Listen to Sandy Denny. Listen to Richard Thompson. Listen to early Aretha. Listen to 70s soul music like Spinners, Stylistics, OJs. Um, I could go on, but I mean, you see what's yeah. behind me, right? Yeah, okay. your music collection. Yeah. And that's only part of it. <laughs> <laughs> And lastly, where can people find you and get a hold of you if they want to um, check out your music? Uh, CodyLeeSongs.com. And there's a contact spread there. Uh, uh, click there, but it's Cody at CodyLeeSongs.com. And um, I, you know, we have, um, I update the site and we're on YouTube. And um, I just finished a live album in the studio and I will, um, 
um, um, yeah. Um, anyway, anywhere, um, anytime, just, you know, as you see, I'm easy to find. Yes. And, and uh, uh, thank you very much for the interview. This is very nice. Not a problem. I love it's the questions. <laughs> you know, my, I used to have an old road manager and he'd go, you're a double barrel schmooze king. And that was a compliment. <laughs> it was a compliment. Um, but um, thank you. It's, it's always great to, to talk about my work. And, um, and uh, uh, since we both live in Chicago, let me know if uh, you have time. We, I don't have a car, but if you're... Neither do I. Okay. <laughs> well, we can find middle ground or something then if you like. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. Thank you. Cody Lee is going to tell us about his new band. Well, thank you. Um, my new band's called Cody Lee's Last Detail. And it means what it sounds like. You know, it's kind of like if you saw one of those old movies from the 50s, you know, where Henry Fonda's at the fort and he takes out the troops for the last detail. Um, after this band, I'm kind of done. I'm having a great time and I don't want it to end anytime soon, but I have a wonderful band. I have a guitar player by the name of uh, Caleb uh, Ramos. I have uh, Brendan Cauley on bass and a Chicago legend on drums who's played with everybody, uh, Larry Beers. And they're great guys. And in three months, we've done new, uh, uh, four, 15 songs. We've done this demo. A live demo in the studio and we started to do shows and then we've accomplished a lot and, uh, if people see us out playing we'd appreciate you come down we've been doing well every gig we've done we've been rebooked so that's not a bad sign and i think it's sounding pretty good and weddings and bar mitzvahs is a specialty no it's an old clash <laughs> line but um you know we'll play almost anywhere as long right. as we can use this salty language you can. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right.